All right, open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 3. We're going to be looking at leadership, spiritual leadership today from the book of 1 Timothy. Well, here it is, late August, and we're, we're starting to, uh, I think this is the first real hot Sunday we've had, which is really nice to live in San Diego. I was with Yvonne this past week with Craig and Tracy. We were in Palm Desert, you know, near Palm Springs. It's 110 every day. Just sitting in the shade, you're sweltering. It's just the, the sweat is just dripping off you, but that's why we're in the swimming pool most of the day with the girls, and, or else you're inside your room or looking for a nice restaurant to hide out in. But... God has blessed us here with uh, incredible weather. In fact, if you go to the beaches, you find out you talk to somebody, that the people say, well, we're from Arizona. So, hey, big, big, let's give a big thanks to the Lord for, man, we got, got big, good weather here in San Diego, and the most important thing is you're here. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're talking about spiritual leadership. How many of you consider yourselves to be leaders? Raise your hand. If you're a leader of, of people, you're leading somebody. Let's say you're a husband. You're leading a family. You're, you're a mother. You're leading also your children. You're, uh, we are called to be leaders by God and role models to those who are seeking God. I'm not kidding. Every single one of you, you might be thinking, I'm not a leader. Every action that we have reflects on somebody else and it shows somebody who you are and therefore you are giving leadership example but what we find here in first timothy chapter three it was written to timothy who was in ephesus paul was instructing timothy a young man probably in his 20s by this time ephesus timothy was a pastor in ephesus and Ephesus was a city that was just this huge seaport city, big, big, big town that was really into the occult. In fact, they had a temple dedicated to the goddess Diana, the fertility goddess, and everywhere you went in the city of Ephesus, they would have statues of the city of the goddess Diana, and they would worship the goddess Diana, and they would... Uh, seek out her counsel. There were, there were sorcerers in the city of Ephesus. It, it was a real wicked place because it was anti-Jesus. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, your job there in the city of Ephesus is to tell those people that the truth is in Christ, not in those gods made by hands. And so, 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's read this together, verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. That is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy, tell the guys of your training, if they want to be an elder in the church, a leader in the church, that's a great job. Man, they've chosen a job that is so powerful and so good that, that let's call it a good work. Well, what does a good work mean? Well, the first thing is the word for good is the Greek word kalos. Say the word kalos. Kalos means beautiful, genuine, precious, excellent. Out of all of these words from the Greek word kalos, Paul is saying 
This is an excellent job. If you want to tell people about Jesus, if you want to teach the Word of God, it is a beautiful work. It is one of the most genuine works. It's a precious job. Let me tell you this morning here at Saramation Christian Fellowship that you are called to do a good work for Jesus Christ, that you have an excellent ministry, an excellent calling, a genuine calling, a precious calling, when you share the gospel of Christ to those who are around you. And that's why in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus tells the story of the four seeds. He tells the story that, remember, the sower went out to scatter the seed, and some seed fell into good ground. And he says, but the ones that fell into the good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And that the word good there is kalos, the same Greek word. It's an excellent seed. It's a good seed. Here are four seeds that the sower is, is sowing in the ground to produce good fruit. Some seed falls into good ground. Some seed falls into thorns gets choked up by the cares of the world. It's talking about the people that get choked up by the cares of the world. Some seed falls into the rocky soil and where it doesn't bring up much roots and it just shoots up really fast, but it doesn't grow. Other seed falls by the wayside. It gets trampled upon. These are the four kinds of people that God is saying are in the world. God is calling you to be the one that chooses the good word that says, I'm going to stick by the word of God and I want to grow in my Christian faith and I want to be a, a leader for God, a leader in the sense that you are an example, that other people are watching your life and you are growing in Christ. Now, the word for good is kalos, but the, the, the other word for work is ergon. Say ergon. It just means an act or a deed. So this is a good work, a good act, a precious act, a precious deed that Paul is calling Timothy to do. And that's why he says, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, read this with me. Let your light shine so before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Paul is telling Timothy to do exactly what Jesus Christ has called the disciples to do, to tell the people to do, do good works for God, and then God will be glorified. When's the last time you think that you've ever done something for God that you said, man, I just want to do this for God. I don't want to get any credit. I just want God to get the glory. I don't want people to look at me. I want him I want people to see God working through me. This is what God is saying. Now, all of us this morning, I went to, I was on my way to church. I usually take the car, but Yvonne needed the car, so I walked to church in my suit. Now, here I am. How many people you see at, I think it was about 7.30 in the morning, walking to church at you know, 7.30 in the morning. Here I, I live there's just a few blocks away, but there's a guy looking at me driving by. Why is that guy in a suit? Must be going to church. I see our neighbor, she's Joan, she's about, I think about 85, and she always walks her dog, little poodle Molly, 
with her. And he goes, hi, pastor. And she goes, well, she knows I'm a pastor, but she calls me pastor today because I'm wearing a suit. And the first time I've seen her on the, on the site, I, I usually drive, so today I walk. And she says, uh, well, I, where are you going? Well, I'm going to church. I'm, uh, oh, that's where you work. Oh, yeah, that, that's where I work. Yes, I'm, she knows I'm a pastor. She knows where I work. I work at, well, I don't call it work, though. I call it, well, I, I go to... I don't, I don't think I've ever called it work. She, she called my job. What I do is work. I don't look at it as work, though. I look at it as a lifestyle that I want to tell people about Christ, and my life as a Christian is just, it's just a natural reflection of what God is doing in you. This morning, we had tons of you come down to church to do some cooking downstairs, and we had a great big breakfast. How many there for breakfast this morning? Okay. How many of you were not there? Raise your hand. Okay, look. You guys missed out on this incredible breakfast downstairs. And what, what, you know what? We're going to do it again. And we're going to need more workers to do it. And what the, the thing is, is that it is not work when you're serving God. It is a joy, right? Those of you who came to serve, it was fun. It's, it's a great thing to do. Being in the ministry is a lot of fun. It can feel like work at times, and it gets to be that way. And just like preparing my sermons, I'm, I'm studying, and I'm not the type of person that, I, man, I, I roll up my sleeves, I'm ready to study. I, it takes me, it's, for me, it's like preparation. It's, it's like being at school. I'm, I'm studying, I'm looking up notes, I'm flipping these pages, going to the Old Testament, New Testament, uh, looking at commentaries. And it is sitting down and actually doing study. It's work. It's, it's, you know, it's, but you know what? The best part of the work is when I'm just doing it on my own, enjoying God and letting him speak to me throughout the week. And I get, okay, this is, this is really good. It's easier than forcing something to study. How many of you are really good straight-A students? Raise your hands. Got a few straight-A students? Okay. You know, we don't, you guys are, don't count then. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm proud of you guys. You, you're important. We need more straight-A students. Johnny Savello, straight-A student? C student? Oh, mediocre, okay. Bryden, straight-A student. Okay. Some, see, the, the hard thing about being a straight-A student is that is that you got to keep up this level all the time. And it's always like the guy that, I remember reading about a guy that was a, you got a 4.2, you know, or 4.0. Well, his whole college days, never got anything less than a 4.0, except for one class, a bowling class. He didn't show up one day or for the final, and he it cut down his grade point average. He went to the, the dean and said, wait a minute, I got straight A's and everything. And he says, well, you, you didn't take the final in the bowling class. It was like his whole career, he was so devastated. A, a 4.0 student in college, he wanted to go up before the, you know, they get the presentation, the magna cum laude and everything, the summa cum or whatever it is, and you stand up on stage and they applaud you. He didn't get it because he didn't show up to bowling class. What God is saying is that I have a plan for you, and you're a straight-A student. When you are putting Christ first and you are sharing Christ, you become doing the good work that I give you a straight-A. I'm giving you a straight-A in. You're the summa cum laude student for God, 
when you are preaching the good works of Jesus Christ. Now, that's why Jesus says, let your light shine so before men that they may see your good works. I, I think that is the hardest thing in the world to do is to brag about what you're doing. How many of you consider yourselves to be behind-the-scenes people? Raise your hand. And, okay, so how many of you like to be up front? How many of you are the stars of the show? And Okay, a couple of stars of the show. I know that uh, you got a great voice. I, we're going to have to have you sing someday. But she, she this. Uh, what's your? Tell me your name again. Aubrey. Aubrey. Okay, Aubrey's got a great voice. You're going to have to hear, hear her sing. But when I was in high school, I wanted to. I signed up for drama. I wanted to be on stage. I was the. I was the guy that you know. I, I wanted to be a, a, a speech arts class. The only job that they gave me, though, was in the big day of the production was to pull, to pull the curtain open and to close the curtain. In fact, they took me, the coach or the, the drama guy, and said, okay, this is how you open the curtain. You pull very slowly one hand on top of the other and bring it down. That was the only job that I ever got working in theater in high school. I wanted to be up on the stage, but they gave me the behind-the-scenes job. So... What did I do? Well, in college, I decided, well, I, I wanted to take English classes, and I wanted to be a lawyer, and I, I said, I'm going to study to be a lawyer, and then God said, you know what, Louie, I don't want you to be a lawyer. I, I applied to law school, and, and I'll, the, the best I could do was, on the, I was on the, at the University of San Francisco, I was on the waiting list next to be taken, but by, I said, okay, next year, but I lost interest, and I said, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go into the law school. Yvonne and I moved to Central America and I became a teacher. And when I was in Central America, I, I really thought I had discovered what I wanted to do in life. I was teaching, we were by the, in the Caribbean, and we were by the, the ocean, and I was lying in a hammock, sipping coconut juice, and I thought, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I just want to just relax here and be a beach bump. But you know what God said? Louis, that's not what I want you to do. And I prayed, and I remember asking God, God, what is it you want me to do in life? And I realized at that time, just about a week later, that God wanted me to go into full-time ministry. We met a guy carrying a cross. He was Arthur Blessed, carrying a cross around the world, and he was there in Central America at that time. And we started following him, and he was going into the bars at night and telling people about Jesus. And Yvonne and I went into the bars with him telling people about Jesus too. And Julie, you've seen us going to Ocean Beach. and You know, you go to the bars over there too. And, and so that's how we really learned. But the main thing is, is that God said, Louie, I'm preparing you to do a good work, the best work in the world, the only work that really matters. Any work that you do on earth is not going to matter only the work that you do that counts for my kingdom is the work that lasts. Only the work that you do for God is the work that really matters. When you're building the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God lasts forever. Everything that we do here on earth doesn't last. So that's why Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now Paul addresses and he writes to Timothy about Christian behavior. He says in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, read this with me. I hope to come to you soon, 
but I'm writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the bulwark of truth. Now, the church is not the building. Remember that. The church, this is not the church. The church is not the, the building. People always get that confused. The, about a building, a location, and the people. The church is us, the people. If we were all today to get up, walk out of here, and go across the street to the park over here, the church would be over there. The building would be here, this, this building of stone and wood, but we, the real church would be over there. Jesus says that my church are those who believe in me and follow me and I'm calling you, the church, to do this incredible work, the living God, the pillar, and the bulwark of truth. Did you know that you are, as the church, you hold the pillar and the bulwark of truth? That means that everything that is truthful in the world is held up by the power of God in his word in the church. But Christian behavior, how do we do that? Well, look what it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. Paul, there is in Ephesus, it's an incredible city, big metropolitan city. The people are worshiping the goddess Diana. And then Paul is saying, now, the goddess says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. I love this verse because here it is, is that what was happening is that people are worshiping false gods. There's sorcery, evil stuff going on, witchcraft. But God wants to demonstrate his power through the Apostle Paul. And so people say, hey, look at, man, I got this, this handkerchief from the Apostle Paul who believes in Jesus. Let me lay it on you. And that person was healed. Why? Because God wanted to authenticate the power of the ministry of the good news of Jesus Christ through the ministry of Paul. And, and that's why God was at that time was using these miraculous things so that people would look to Christ. The message that Paul had that he was preaching Christ, people would say, Paul, tell me, what is it? What is, what is the source of this power? And Paul would say, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the salvation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross for you, believe in him and you will be saved. Now, four points on the behavior of Christ. If you want to be in spiritual leadership, number one, you need to defend the faith. Spiritual leadership defends the faith. That's what Paul was doing at Ephesus that's what he, Paul is telling Timothy to do at Ephesus, to train leaders, and when you do that, you're defending the faith of God. That's called apologetics. Now, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, read this with me. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give what? A defense to everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Peter is saying this. Peter, who walked with Jesus, is saying, be ready to give an answer to anybody that asks you, what is it that you live for? What does life mean to you? What is important to you? What do you value in life? 
you always come back to Christ. Always focus on Jesus. This is what Peter did. This is what Paul did. This is what Paul is telling to Timothy. Always keep the main thing, the main thing. Don't get distracted on other things in this world. Focus on Christ. And then spiritual leadership number two is servant leadership. Servant leadership. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, back then, what was happening is that what Jesus did, when somebody would come to your house, how did you receive a guest? Back then, they didn't have sidewalks like we have. They had dusty roads. When a guest came to your house, his sandals were dusty, his feet were dusty, and somebody would come, the host would wash his feet. Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet. Even though I'm the master, I want to teach you what it means to be a real leader, to be a servant. Now, when I, I run about three days a week, I run up Cowles Mountain. I don't know if you've ever been up, how many of you have been up to Cowles Mountain? Well, I've been starting to do that three days a week, and so, but I run up, and then I, I, after I get really tired, I walk the rest of the way and then run and walk and run and walk. By the time I get back down the hill, my shoes are so dusty. My tennis shoes, I mean, I'm just stomping on the ground and just dust is flying up. And a couple of times I've forgotten to take them off before I go in the house and, you know, boom, boom. And hey, well, there's dust all over the place. But I get in here and start sweeping it up and before my wife sees it. No, I'm just kidding. But... My wife, she's the most precious lady. She's, oh, don't worry about it, honey. Let me all sweep it up for you. This lady is incredible because she is a real servant of God. What God is saying for you to do is not to be looking out for the things that other people do that are wrong, but to say, you know what? Hey, let me fix that for you. Or let me come and minister to you on that area. Or, hey, don't worry. You got a flat tire? Let me call AAA for you. <laughs> What God wants us to do is to be real leaders for God, and it happens when you say, I'm going to start serving you. Don't, don't think about serving me. I love it this morning when people are serving and they're, they're cooking, and, and then we had a cr cleanup crew. That's the hardest part. It's always fun to, to serve, but then to clean up. But praise God, we have some clean How many of you like the, are the, the cleanup specialists? How many, raise your hand if you Ron? Get your hand raised. Okay. Some of you guys are real cleanup specialists. You love to come and clean up. They call them the demo guys, or they call them the, um, I guess they call them the cleanup crew. But God is saying, I'm looking for people in this world to be on the cleanup crew committee. People that are going to be the ones that are going to stay after and do the work that nobody else even knows about. Those are the people that are serving. Those are the people that are really giving of their time. Jesus said, that's what I'm training the church to do, is to be the servants, the ones that don't get any credit, but in my kingdom, they're the ones that are shining, getting the straight A's. And that's why the word for serve is diakoneo here, means to minister or to, to be a uh, attend to. That's what we get the word deacon from, those who are serving and also behind the scenes. So servant leadership is what Jesus talks about in John 13. It says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I, so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought 
to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, in San Diego culture, we don't go around washing each other's feet, right? I mean, that's just not something that, hey, listen, wash. I, I'm washing my own feet. Go ahead, wash your feet, and then we'll just keep it even. What God is saying is that I want you to take a step beyond what is traditional and start serving in a way that is so outstanding and so unusual to you that, you know what, people are going to say, I see a light shining in that dark corner of that guy's life because he is doing something. I've never seen him do that before. He is really standing out. What is it that is driving that person to do these great things? And you can tell them, I've turned my life over to Jesus Christ. I'm starting to live for Christ, and I'm following him. I'm doing what Jesus has asked me to do, to be a servant leader. And that's why spiritual leadership is being a follower of Christ. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 says, Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And now this is a tall order. Jesus, Paul is saying to the people around him, the church in Corinth, hey, listen, imitate me. You know what? I'm telling people about Jesus. You know what I'm doing? I'm serving in the churches. And I'm, I'm getting persecuted, but I'm not stopping. This is the kind of life that I want the church to follow. Imitate my example just as I'm following Christ. And that's why Jesus said in John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. I believe that in our church, we have real, real genuine servants of Christ. I believe that you are here this morning, those of you who are here, I know you want to be followers of Christ and to be servants of God. I, I know that's what's so remarkable about our church, and that's what I love about our church, is that we have a lot of servant leaders here. And God is honoring this ministry because of your service to him. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Back in the days of Jesus, when he said this, it was a regular occasion to see a crucifixion. Through the main street of Jer the city of Jerusalem, is called the Via Dolorosa, the, the road of sorrow. But it would be the road which the Roman soldiers would take a prisoner through the streets, parade him through the streets, carrying his cross, and they would take that cross to the hill which they would crucify that prisoner. It would be a torturous death to hang on a cross. But Jesus, using this example, telling the disciples, having known and having seen crucifixions before themselves, because people would say, look at that guy carrying that cross. Today that guy is going to die. People in the city of Jerusalem, they would say, man, that guy is... That guy's dead. In about a few hours, he's going to be dead. He's carrying a cross. Jesus is saying to his disciples, anyone who follows him, 
I want you to pick up your cross daily and to follow me. That is, I want you to die to yourself. I want you to, whatever you consider valuable, to give up in the name of Christ. What God is calling us to do as a church, he says, I want you to lose your life. I want you to lose your life so that you can really start living. Once you say, I'm going to start giving up what I consider to be important so that God can shine, so that God can be glorified, that's when you really find your life. And a lot of us, I believe here in the Sarah Mesa Christian Fellowship, have decided that, that you want to be followers of Jesus. And I, I'm so proud of our church and that I, I've seen this over and over again, that people are constantly serving and constantly giving. This is real spiritual leadership. And that's what Paul is talking to Timothy about. The fourth and the last here characteristic is spiritual leadership is committed to prayer and teaching God's Word. Spiritual leadership is committed to prayer and to teaching God's Word. And that's why Acts 6, 3, and 4 says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that what was happening here is that some of the widows and some of the people in the church were being overlooked in, in getting their food. And so some of the, the Jewish widows were getting served before the Hellenistic Jews, that is the Greek widows. And, and Paul is saying, hey, listen, this, or Peter's saying, this is something that we, we shouldn't be involved in. Why don't you appoint deacons and people that are going to be servants so that those who are in full-time ministry can be praying and teaching the Word of God. Real key here this morning. You who are here this morning are in full-time Christian ministry. Never forget that. You are a full-time minister for God. There's a story of a stewardess for United Airlines who was, this is back in the days before when, you know, they had, you could smoke on a plane and you could, remember those days you'd be saying, I want the non-smoking section, but then you're sitting here, the non-smoking lands in your line, okay, yeah, you're in the non-smoking. It didn't make sense because the whole cabin is full of smoke, but, you know, I'm in the non-smoking section, and so what, then there were, they would, there was this one flight that was being delayed and it was going over Chicago O'Hare and they kept going around in circles and they were, they're called layers, they were being stacked and it was too crowded, something happened on the ground and so the passengers were getting in, irate and tense and, and they started handing out free little, you know, those little bottles of, of, um, of uh, what do you call it? Um, <laughs> well, they're spirits. And, yeah, those little bottles. And then, and one guy just kept asking for more, and the stewards kept bringing him more because thinking, well, okay, just as long as they keep quiet and they keep, everybody, everybody's happy. And, but this guy didn't get quiet. He got unruly, and he started showing bad behavior, and he started getting obnoxious to the, to the stewardess. And, and back then, I mean, I guess you could do that because that was 
that culture back then. Nowadays, if you offend a stewardess, you get turned over to the, the police. But that back then, it was, uh, he was getting unruly. And, and, and one of the passengers said, you know what, ma'am, I really appreciate your attitude. You have this incredible spirit. You're just really just serving and just, and just not letting this jerk get away with it. I mean, just, just not letting him get you down. You're still tending to the other passengers, and you're still, I want to write a letter to United Airlines and tell him what a good job you're doing. And she says, you know what, I don't work for United Airlines. And he, wait, he looked at his airline ticket. What do you mean you don't work for United Airlines? She said, she said, I work for Jesus Christ. My job here is to serve and just to keep serving everybody and not let one person hang me up, but just continue to be a servant of God. That's what she told the, the, the other passengers. She said, I'm just a servant of Jesus Christ. My full-time job is being a servant for God. It's not being an airline stewardess or being a, a lawyer, a plumber, or an architect. It's being a servant of God. I'm a full-time minister. That's what we are here at Sarah Mesa. We're full-time ministers for Christ. Always remember that. When you go out the door and you, you say, well, I'm going to go to work, your job is to go work for Christ. Your job is to work for Jesus. Remember that. That's what the Bible tells us. And that's why I love it right here. This is the most important three things. How can you develop spiritual leadership in your life? Number one, pray. Pray to God for wisdom on how you can become a spiritual leader. That's what James chapter 1, verse 5 says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who, let him with diligently, but let him ask of faith, not doubting. And then spiritual leadership, you ask of God to change your heart and to develop the character and qualities in what you are required for spiritual leadership. That's what it says in Galatians 5.22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. These are the fruits of the Spirit which are manifested in you when you say, I'm going to start living for Jesus Christ. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work in me and not my life. And then number three, rely on the power of God to give you strength you need to exhibit spiritual leadership in your life. That's what it says in Philippians 4, 13. Let's read it together. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You can do anything with Christ, anything. And there's no limitation in your life. The only thing that you're limited to is really your lack of faith. When God is saying, I don't want you to be limited by lack of faith. I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to be strong in faith. Because whatever you're, whenever you're strong in faith, you're releasing the power of God to work in you in a mighty way. Let's say it again. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Him is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word here from Paul to Timothy, it applies to us today. Even though it was written 2,000 years ago, it's relevant to every single one of us here. And Lord, we pray that we will become spiritual leaders on fire for God because you have called us to be imitators of Jesus Christ, to be followers of Jesus, to pick up our cross daily and to follow you. Lord, I pray that above all in our church that we will become more loving and serving each other in ways that we would have never dreamed of the week before. 
Lord, we know that we can only do this through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that right now you would speak to us, that if there's anybody here that does not know Christ, that today they would find salvation. And I'm going to ask us all to stand right now as we're all standing, as Tim is playing. I'm going to invite you to accept Jesus Christ today. If you've never prayed to ask Jesus to come into your life, today you can do it. If you need a change in your life, today you can do it. And I'm going to pray this prayer silently. Let's all bow our heads with our heads bowed and eyes closed. You can pray this prayer with me silently. Lord Jesus, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness in my life. And I am inviting you, Jesus, to come into my heart right now to cleanse me, to wash me, to purify my heart by the blood that you shed on the cross, that blood that you shed on Calvary. And Lord, I do believe that you did die for my sins, that you were buried, but on the third day you rose from the grave. You conquered death. And so I now want to follow you in life, no longer living for myself, but living for you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart, for cleansing me and making me new.